0: Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily Digest. I'm Ben Olson, that's Nathan Fox. Together, we're the founders of LSATdemon.com and our weekly podcast, Thinking LSAT. Here's what we talked about this week. We have an email here from Ryan. Ryan says, Hello, and thank you for making my LSAT journey so much easier. I'm writing in to ask specifically about how to improve in reading comp. On average, I miss zero to two questions in both games and logical reasoning but weirdly enough, I get six to nine questions wrong for reading comp for both time sections and practice tests. I've been studying for reading comp simply by drilling and trying to understand as much of the passage as possible before moving on to the questions. Nonetheless, my RC score is not improving as much as the other two sections have. Is there something wrong with the way I'm studying or do I simply have to be more patient and keep up what I've been doing? Thank you for your time. And if you do respond, if you do respond to this question via your podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you would tell me which podcast question my answer is on. Uh, (laughs) Eric would have to help with that.
1: Eric (laughs) might be able to do that for you um, if he can find your email address, which I'm not sure he can. Um, Anyway, let's answer the question. What do you think about somebody who's minus zero to minus two for LGLR? Missing six to nine on reading comp.
0: Well, my quick advice is to treat reading comp more like logical reasoning because whatever you're doing there is working, and maybe you're you're trying to over-engineer your reading comp reading.
1: Yeah, um, probably you're not reading the passage well enough. That's almost guaranteed. Like, a, if you if you actually comprehended the passage, which Comprehension means understanding. If you actually understood the passage, the questions should be easy. So hypothesis number one, you're not reading the passage well enough. Hypothesis number two, you haven't yet grasped that on reading comp, they're only asking you what the passage said. They're not asking you for your opinion. They're not asking you where the passage might go next wrong answers on reading comp are heavily weighted toward answers that are just extra that it can either be a, a too strong version of what the passage actually said, or it can be just slightly different from slightly or very different from what the passage said. If so, a thing that people miss on reading comp a lot is that they just, they fail to treat reading comp as if it's a whole bunch of must be true questions. Yep. I wrote a whole thing about it. It It's like on reading comp. The questions are basically all must be trues. Yeah. If you start treating it that way where it's like, hey, I need evidence to support this answer. And one real good way to get there, by the way, is to start predicting the answers. You know, if you're a minus two or minus zero on LR, then that means you're probably pretty good at predicting the answers on LR. Start trying to predict the answers on reading comp as well.
0: Yeah. And those predictions don't have to be precise. We're not asking for the answer. Sometimes it's just, hey, does the author seem likely to agree with this or not? And I'm giving a thumbs up or a thumbs down, but I'm orienting myself around where I think this answer has got to be. And so many of the wrong answers are just the opposite. It's like, nope, it disagrees or something.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, what, what does the author think about this thing? And you go, um, well, I think the author thought that it was like partially good, but there are other considerations that can tell that's a fine prediction. It's not going to say that, you know, the answer choice isn't going to say the author thinks it's partially good, but there's other it's, it'll, it'll say some other words, but you'll find one that has that exact same vibes where it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. That, yep. There's some merit here, but there's other things to think about, or there's other ways to interpret it or whatever. And so those weird it's like a half prediction or it's just like it doesn't have to be a fully formed prediction. It's just like having a general idea of what the author thinks about this question is frequently enough to make all the wrong answers look terrible.
0: Well, and and sometimes a fully formed prediction is counterproductive because you're sitting there right. trying to get it all right. And it's just like, no, just have a loose understanding of what's going on. Yeah. Here.
1: Or you could like have exactly the verbiage that you want, you know, like, well, it has to say these words and you're just forgetting that synonyms exist and that there's lots of ways that they could say that exact same thing. The, the critical thing, though, is that you try to make a prediction, because if you don't make a prediction, then you have to go read a like hoping that a is correct. And that's a recipe for disaster. We, we have to be looking for reasons why answers are wrong. And, ha- and knowing what you're looking for really helps you to do that. This episode is going to release on November 2nd. That's the same day that October LSAT scores come out. We wanted to give you an episode that would help you to uh, evaluate or understand your official LSAT score and maybe make a, pl- a plan going forward. So what should people be thinking today, Ben, as their scores are released?
0: okay yeah you're gonna get a score right let's say you get a 162 uh you just got to take a look at that score and see how that compares to your recent practice test scores if it's within the range of your recent practice test scores and there's nothing to be surprised about if it's below your practice test scores then you should be planning to take it again Um, if it's above your practice test scores well then congratulations you still might want to take it again If you're willing to prep more and bring up your practice test score average to that range or higher, uh, then you should, yeah, probably take it again. But that's that's what it really comes down to.
1: Yeah, I think step one is like, where does that official score fit into your range of recent practice test scores? Yep. And if you don't have a range of recent practice test scores, which many people don't. You should. You shouldn't have taken
0: the test, but don't worry about that now. It doesn't matter. It's (laughs) happened. And let's practice and then bring your score up and take it again when you're ready.
1: Right. So if the score is low compared to your recent practice tests, then you had a bad day for whatever reason. I would certainly be obviously be thinking about a retake. You might be signed up for the November LSAT. I think you should take the November LSAT frequently. And this is a huge mistake People are like, well, I was happy with my range of practice test scores, but then on my official score, I got lower or I got like near the bottom of my range. So I'm going to take a bunch of time to prep. I I was going to take the next official test, but I've decided not to because I need more time to prep. And they think that the reason they need more time to prep is because their official score was low in their range
0: they give the official score more weight than their practice tests exactly
1: right the the error there of logic is y- you you should prep more if you're not happy with your range you shouldn't prep
0: more if your official test is somehow lower
1: <laughs> right if your yep. official test is like in the low let's say the bottom quarter of your range well you should score in the bottom quarter of your range 25% of the time by definition And so it doesn't mean anything. It's just one data point within your range. And if you like your range, then you should take the test officially. Again, you don't necessarily need to do different prep.
0: I would keep prepping. (laughs) You might as well keep edging up your range, but yeah, you're ready to take it again. The other mistake that a lot of people make, especially in November, I think is this, they have one foot in and one foot out with admissions. So They're planning to take the test again, but they're also at the same time submitting apps to other schools. It's like, no, just focus on getting your best score. That may happen in November, but it may happen in January. I don't know. Let's get the best score on record. And then when that happens, look forward and decide when to apply.
1: Yeah. If you score way below your range, this happens sometimes too, you know, like the student. Yeah, you know, they could have been scoring 168 to 174 on their practice tests, mm-hmm. and then they scored 162 on their official test. What do you think about that? That student.
0: Oh, they probably tried too hard to do a perfect test on test day. But yeah, I, I still think their range is their range. And if they're happy with that range, they should take the test again. Just yes. stop giving so much respect to the official test.
1: Well, y- yes, and I would add in that specifically in that case which it happens like a lot you did something different on your official test than you did on your practice tests like if if you score you know something like cuz you hear wild shit right oh i my last 10 tests they were all in the 170s and then i scored 162 yep what that shouldn't be really possible yeah and So that means to me, clearly you, you just behaved differently. So what did you do differently? What was different about it? Did you?
0: (laughs) Yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, I'm just like, there's so many different things that you can do, right? There's, there's two different types of perfectionism that happen on official tests for people who are, you know, maybe they weren't taking their practice tests seriously enough, Mm -hmm. or maybe they're taking the official test too seriously. But one way or the other, they either, you know, they shoot for 180 in one way or another. Or the one top way of their is,
0: range. They shoot for the top of their range. They shoot yeah.
1: for the top of their range. And, and so one bad problem with that is that you might rush trying to finish more questions than you can comfortably accurately finish. And so be honest with yourself. Did you underperform because you tried to shoot for the moon on the official test? Did you do too many questions? You were sloppy. You thought you were doing it right, but you just weren't solving the questions. And that's why you missed so many of them. That's one way that people um, like fuck up the official test. Another way, though, is that they take way too much time on individual questions. They end up doing far fewer questions than they did on average on their practice tests. And so then again, because of triple checking, because of just like obsessing on each question, you know, they just don't finish nearly as many questions as they did on their practice test. And that can be another reason why you would dramatically underperform on your official test.
0: Yeah. I mean, another thing, and I don't think this is as common, but sometimes we get surprised or I'm surprised by people who say things like, oh, yeah. When I was doing my practice tests, I sometimes gave myself extra
1: time. Yeah, <laughs> Like what? That's another uh, one. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I mean, I would pause it if there was a <laughs> distraction or, a, you know, if I, it's like I needed to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Well, OK. I mean, but you're
0: thinking about that game while you're going to the bathroom and then you come back and it's like,
1: oh, yeah, yeah. You, you need to take your practice tests a little more seriously in that case. I mean, we've just heard people straight up say, oh, well, I gave myself some extra time. Yep. <laughs> I just, I, I, I couldn't, I wasn't going to quite finish. So I just, I let myself finish those last few questions on each section. Yep. Well, shit, you're not going to have that extra time on the official test. So obviously you're going to score higher on your practice tests than you are on your official test. If you're not taking your practice tests seriously enough. All right. What would we say to somebody who scores at the top of their range? It kind of depends on
0: what that is. Right. Uh, But first of all, great. Congratulations. Um, If you take it again, you'll probably be lower than that unless you change your range. So to take it again, you really have to change your range. You have to move your range up and then take it again.
1: Yeah. The entire range. You want your yeah. good days to be a little better. You want your average days to be better. You want your bad days to be better. You're not going to narrow the range. Shooting for consistency is just bullshit. It's just not a thing. You you need to be instead thinking about improving your entire range. I'm imagining a bell curve and people shifting their entire range over to the right. The entire yep. curve moves. That's what LSAT prep does. So If you scored high, like if you scored, you know, sometimes people score the best they've ever scored on their official test. Absolutely. At that point, it's sometimes a good time to just declare victory. Yep. Either
0: declare victory or go back to the drawing board and push up your score and take it again. And that's why I say it depends on what score they got, because sometimes people come to us and they're like, hey, guess what? I got the best score I ever got on my official test and I got a 160 and it's like, okay, that's awesome. I'm so proud of you. But do you want to apply with a 160? Where do you want to go to school? And do you want to go for free? You're not going to do it with that score. So you need to do better. Or are you? And if you are, then great.
1: Anything else you want to say about score release date?
0: Nope. Uh, Except maybe if you're feeling stressed or panicked or any sort of negative emotion, just take a deep breath and realize you can, in the vast majority of cases, try again. So look forward.
1: And by the way, if you're looking at this on YouTube, um, you can always just comment right below the video. Let us know what you scored. Um, LSAT Demon staff do monitor our comments on YouTube. We don't normally engage in uh, dumb debates, but if you have questions about your score and what you should do next, uh, you can uh, participate there in those comments and uh, we'll take a look at it and hopefully get back to you with some helpful stuff. We're gonna look at a logical reasoning question today from prep test 73. I'll read you the passage, Ben, and you can tell me what you think of it. This is a test 73, section four, question 16, if you're playing along at home. Stress is a common cause of high blood pressure.
0: Okay. It's telling me straight up that this thing, stress makes my blood pressure go up. That's significant because on the test, they often talk about things that happen together, but I don't know what their relationship is. I don't have to worry about that here. It's just telling me stress makes my blood pressure go up.
1: Yep. By calming their minds and thereby reducing stress, some people can lower their blood pressure.
0: Makes total sense. If stress makes it go up, (laughs) reducing stress seems like it could make it go down.
1: Okay. And most people can calm their minds in turn by engaging in exercise.
0: Again, this thing, exercise, makes us more calm, and making us more calm can make us have a lower blood pressure. Um, it all makes sense. It seems like these are just three facts. There's not really um, an argument here. And so putting them together, it sounds like exercise can make my blood pressure go down.
1: Totally. Um, and that's exactly what you should be thinking here. That, you know, there's no argument here. It's just a set of facts. But Ben, you did it perfectly. You just immediately connected those facts. Yep. uh, And thought, oh, so exercise can calm your mind and calm your mind can lower blood pressure. And yeah, so maybe by exercising, I can lower my blood pressure.
0: Yeah. And I'm not saying it will. Definitely. I'm just saying it can because that's the language that they used here. But that's good enough.
1: Speaking of language, look at the terrible usage of in turn there. Isn't that weird? Most people can calm their minds in turn by engaging in exercise? Yeah. That is but a weird that, placement. <laughs> well, it's it's exactly wrong it's exactly wrong because it's not in turn. They're not what they're telling you is that you can exercise to calm your mind and then in turn your calm mind might reduce your stress. And lower your blood pressure yeah they just weirdly put that is that it is it a transition is it a conjunction is it it's nothing it doesn't have any effect whatsoever anyway okay you fought through it It turns out to be a supported question which one of the following is most strongly supported by the information above again what do you what are you looking for here
0: Uh, i'm looking for something that essentially must be true given what i just read
1: okay and specifically what are you looking for here
0: I'm looking for something that says, hey, by the way, exercise can lower my blood pressure, at least for most people.
1: Well, at least for some people, you should say. Yeah. Yeah. Most people can calm their minds by engaging in exercise, but only some people lower their blood pressure by calming their minds.
0: Fair enough. I'm being a little fast, but I'm also not super worried because I know (laughs) so many of these answers are going to say something entirely different. Okay. And if push comes to shove, then it'd be like, oh yeah, well, it's some,
1: right? Okay. A, for at least some people, having lower blood pressure has at least some tendency to cause their stress levels to be reduced.
0: No, this is switching the causal relationship. It's saying that the lower blood pressure is having some sort of an effect on their stress, where the argument said it, or the passage said it in the other direction. Stress has an effect on their blood pressure.
1: Okay. Okay. B, most people with high blood pressure can lower their blood pressure by reducing their stress.
0: Most people with high blood pressure can lower their blood pressure by reducing their stress levels. We do know that stress is a common cause. And then they said some people can lower their blood pressure by reducing their stress. I don't know if that's true for most people, though.
1: No, because even if stress is a common cause of high blood pressure, it could still be the 49th most common cause of high blood pressure. Yep. And it could be obesity or diabetes or too much salt or whatever. And there'd be a thousand things that could be more influential and could be a much more common cause of stress. See, most people who do not exercise regularly have higher stress levels as a result.
0: No, I know stress helps calm our minds and therefore eventually our stress,
1: but exercise helps. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exercise. So I don't even know what I said. But um I don't know what happens to people who don't exercise. It
1: doesn't yeah. even talk be, about it. Be careful here. I could see people choosing that answer because they think it's true in real life.
0: Mm.
1: You know? Be like, oh, yeah, those people who never exercise, of course, they're stressed out. But they're not asking you for your opinion. They're asking you what these facts said. D, engaging in exercise can directly lower one's blood pressure.
0: Oh, uh, I don't know if it happens directly. In fact, the passage suggested that it happens indirectly.
1: Yeah, that's probably worth having a short discussion about, huh? What does directly mean and what does indirectly mean?
0: Well, directly means this event maybe exercising, I'm gonna say the word again, directly uh, impacts the next thing, which is lowering your blood pressure. But that's not what the passage said. The passage talked about these things that happen in between, right? Exercising makes you calmer, becoming calmer makes you have less stress, less stress then lowers your blood pressure. So maybe one thing is affecting something else before it's finally affecting your blood pressure. That's indirect.
1: Yeah, anything that's not direct is indirect. So, like, you directly kill someone if you run them over with your car.
0: Great example.
1: (laughs) You indirectly kill someone if you, you know, get your friend super drunk and then give your friend your car keys and tell them to go down to the package store to buy more booze. And then that friend runs someone over in your car. There, maybe you indirectly caused the death of that person. But you weren't driving the car, so you were not the direct cause of that person's death. Sure. Okay. E, for at least some people, engaging in exercise can cause their stress levels to be reduced.
0: That's exactly what we talked about. That's what I predicted. That's the answer. It's also got the perfect wording, at least some can. You know, it's not trying to claim too much.
1: So. Yeah. Great. We did get an email on this. I'm looking at the written explanation here. And we had a we had a correspondent who said, I didn't choose E because I didn't think it had to be true. OK, well, I can go on and see what you would say to this. So the objection was I didn't choose E because I didn't think it had to be true. We don't know if the some people who can lower their blood pressure by calming their minds overlap with the most people who can engage their mind's with exercise. So my guess is for supported questions, the answers don't have to be true. They're just the ones that are most likely to be true. Any response to all of that?
0: Yeah, I have two responses. Yes, it's a supported question. So we're not looking for something that must be true and your quibble may be valid, but also, okay, what answer did you choose?
1: Yeah. So this person actually chose D. Okay. And that's you know, and and the, the problem with D is definitely that word directly.
0: Yeah, we have no evidence for that.
1: If if you take that word directly out of that answer, it becomes engaging in exercise can lower one's blood pressure. Sure seems like it. Well, you know, the, the, can. well the funny
0: the funny thing is, is that's the how is that any even if you take that directly out, how is that any better? Than E.
1: Oh, I'm not I'm not comparing it to E. I'm just saying it could definitely be the correct answer if E wasn't there and the word directly was removed from that answer choice.
0: Sure. I guess my question would still go back to Dylan, though, this correspondent, right? Someone is like, hey, but how do we know the sum and the most line up and everything like that? Well, you'd have the same issue with D. So then how can that be the issue?
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. (laughs) If E says engaging in exercise can cause stress to be reduced, then, yeah, surely you must agree that engaging in exercise can lower one's blood pressure because that was the whole point exercise lowers blood pressure, which reduces stress. No, oh, wait, sorry. It's the other way around exercise. Yeah. So D is actually still reduces, worse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's worse. Cause you have to go one more step still yeah. to
0: get to D. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And anyway, it was the word directly that made that a thousand percent wrong. Yeah.
0: Sorry to get into this, the weeds here, <laughs> but I mean, that's what we always get back to, right? Like people take issues with answer choices and it's like, okay, well then that issue cannot exist in any of the other answers. And yet it does the best, the next best answer still has that problem. So that can't be the issue here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You got to make two mistakes to miss that question. So it's fine that you had this quibble with E and you didn't think it was a perfect answer. That's okay. But you failed to be equally skeptical of D and you know, so you you picked that wrong answer without being skeptical enough. Okay, keep practicing.
0: Yep, cool.
1: This is coming to us from uh, producer Eric. Forwarded it in uh, a bunch of links. Check out the law school data admissions graphs for these schools and the four the five schools that Eric linked to us are Wash U in St Louis, ASU, uh, UC that's Arizona, UCLA. University of Florida, Levin, and uh, Vanderbilt have you seen these before Ben? No, I've never seen these.
0: These are sharp <laughs> this is
1: they're wild. they are very interesting, yeah, I have been looking forward to recording this episode because I wanted to talk to you about this stuff
0: I, I want to clarify my word sharp here I guess when i'm I'm surprised by how. Like how much
1: there is a cutoff. That's exactly why Eric sent these links. So we're looking at, um, I mean, law school data is at LSD dot law. Okay. And this is just looking at the school report. I guess they have these school reports for every school, but looking at the school report for Wash U in St. Louis, which is a school right outside the top 14. And they just keep inching ever closer by giving full ride scholarships to, you know, people that are going to increase their rankings. Yeah. The first chart on the left here is LSAT versus GPA. Mm -hmm. So it's a whole bunch of data points. It's all self-reported data from last cycle. Yep. 1304 applicants. So is that 1304 applicants total? Well, I'm seeing, I'm looking at their 2021 509. Yep. They had almost 6,000 applications. So that number must be only reported. Se- that's also self-reported from law school data. Okay. It looks like they're getting close. they got like one out of five of all the people who registered, who applied to WashU. Yep. I mean, it is a different cycle. But still, roughly, it looks like they've got self-reported data from about one out of five, one out of five applicants. OK, good. That's sample. a pretty good sample. Yep. The thing that you're saying is sharp. <laughs> <laughs> their median, Washington, St. Louis, their median LSAT last year was a 170. OK, yep. And their 75th percentile was only a 171. You can already tell, kind of, you know, you could predict what this chart's going to look like. But what what happens here is it's green if you got accepted, and it's yellow if you got waitlisted, and it's red if you got rejected. Yep. And if you hover over the different colors, <laughs> look at what the rejects look like, Ben.
0: Yeah. What do you, what do you,
1: <laughs> well, there's a smattering of red dots on the bottom of the chart. Those are people who have uh, GPAs below 2.5. Yeah. They're just like getting rejected because their GPA sucks. Yeah. But the, the thing that I, I find very striking is that the, the red it just like stops right at their... 50th percentile. Right at their 50th, right, or right under their 50th percentile. And the yellows are super heavily super heavily weighted at or below their median. I mean, there's this big stripe of yellows right on. You know, people getting waitlisted with a 171 and a 3.68 GPA. It's like, well, your GPA is not good enough that you're getting in just on GPA. Your LSAT's not good enough that you're getting in just on LSAT, and you're getting waitlisted. And then when you look at the greens, <laughs> look at how, look at that line of greens that's going down right at 172.
0: Yeah. It, it You have that 172, your GPA can drop all the way down. But the same is true even uh, for your GPA. If you have the, yeah. what, above four, no, three, eight or something like that, yeah. right? Yeah. So then you can have a pretty low LSAT score. It's like, <laughs> and it just tracks. And I don't see any reds. Once you have above either one of those numbers, either. Exactly. you don't have to have above both. You just have to have above well, one.
1: Nope. Vicarious cat person managed to get denied with Vicarious. a 177 and a 2.4.
0: Yes, that's true. There is a, you're right below 2.5. So you drop low enough and it's like, okay, we're done. But Still, fundamentally, there's this that's so strange. It's just like,
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, they denied one person out of however many thousand. I mean, well, I guess there's 1,304 people who self-reported here. Hmm. 312 of those were denials. But there's exactly one of them that is a denial above their 50th percentile LSAT. And are there any GPA denials? Above their 50th percentile GPA. I don't see any. There's one that's right on it. Doubtful Camel managed to get denied with a 161 and a 3.98. But <laughs> I doubtful. Camel. I, I can't describe how stark these lines are. Yeah. And And it's just like and so what Eric wrote, he wrote holistic admissions process, question mark. And, you know, he's, he's just, he's, he's joking, um, or he's, uh, he's poking fun, of course, because I don't see how you could reach any other conclusion from looking at these charts. (laughs) They're making their decisions based on LSAT and GPA. Yep.
0: Those numbers are deciding which side of the line you're on. There's a line. It's, you know, a lot of times these scatter graphs, right? You have this mix (laughs) And it's kind of hard. You can see the line. If you step back, you don't have to step back here at all. You step over the cliff and boom, you're off
1: the admissions. <laughs> you can, uh, oh, like you can click to hide. Okay. It's awesome. When you click to hide all of the acceptances. Yeah. It's just like everybody above their 50th percentile LSAT and everybody above their 50th percentile GPA are immediately oh, gone from the chart.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, it's it's just like they're admit you're admitted at this school if you're if you've got the numbers. Yep. I mean, very rare. Very rare outliers.
0: So so this is interesting. If you hide uh, if you show just the rejected, right, like you're saying, as soon as you get above those numbers, (laughs) you're being accepted. Right.
1: Yeah. They're rejected are just in this. And it's like if you're close on both, you're fucked. Like, sorry, Flatfoot 169, 3.87. Yeah. It's just you're you're below our median on both numbers, even though and that's exactly where like if it really was a holistic admissions process, they would look at that person and they'd go, You've clearly got the horsepower you you should be in at our school. Like, come on, that's not that good of a school where a where okay, lively awesome links got denied yep. with a 170 so, and yeah, a 3.91. Which means that the person
0: has the horsepower and the work ethic. It's you got the GPA, you got
1: the LSAT score. But sorry, 169 is one point below our 50th percentile and 3.91 is 0.02 below our 50th percentile, UGPA. And so you're getting denied because you're going to make our medians look worse. You're going to make our ranking go down. And so we don't give one fuck holistically. We're denying you because you're going to make our rankings look bad.
0: Yeah. I mean, you see puck 912? Puck 912 is over on the LSAT, but still got rejected. That could be someone who said something very stupid in their personal statement, but it's one, one, maybe two, yeah, doubtful camels the other. But here's what I find interesting. You basically can't get in if you're below these numbers, but if you are above you're gonna get in, and there are some people who are below the numbers, and they're still getting in. I wonder how that's being decided. So they will admit people who are below.
1: Very few.
0: Very few. I, I agree, mean, but the, still, the
1: chart—it's so, it's so different. Like the chart right? looks like this. I mean, it's like all the greens are just north or east of that of the medians. Yep. Right. And then if you, yeah, if you only look at the green folks. <laughs> then yeah, you can see a few people who got in with that, you know, you can be lower on both like this yep. action. Take two LSAT 161 GPA 3.35, but good, you know, um, congratulations because that's you and maybe 10 other people yeah. out of 1300 people. Yeah. Who got in with numbers below their medians. Yeah. And the vast majority of these 222 acceptances. I mean, it's literally 200 it's 210 out of 222 that are at or above on LSAT and or GPA. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's just like, it's pretty clear. If you're below on both, you are a long shot.
0: But what also is clear is if you're above on one, you have a good shot. You just yeah. have to be above on one. That's kind of interesting. Although there is this a greater bias towards being above on the LSAT. You can see that there's more green yeah. above the LSAT line than above the GPA line.
1: Oh yeah. This tells you a lot. These scatter plots tell you a lot. You, you, yeah. If you they right they prefer high LSAT, low GPA splitters to, to high GPA low LSAT splitters.
0: Yeah. But splitters have a chance. That's what this chart is saying.
1: Splitters have a chance. Also, if you want to go to that school, and especially if you want the scholarship, the best way, the, the front door is get in with your numbers um, yep. on one or the other. But um, yeah, and preferably both. Right. I mean, do they ever deny anybody who's over on both? Looks like no.
0: So no, now I'm looking at person. a... Let's look at ASU because ASU is a little bit of a different story. Okay. Similar, similar, still some big lines here, but I see more rejections above the lines. I wonder why that is. I mean, still small, (laughs) still small, but there are more. It's, it's a little.
1: Again, we got like 1100 data points on this chart of those only 244 of them were rejected. Mm Mm-hmm. The vast majority of the rejections, again, I mean, the rejections are concentrated under the medians for both. Yep. Yeah, they do have more rejections. ASU is rejecting more specifically. It looks like they're rejecting the high LSAT, but they're also admitting lots of high LSAT low GPA people too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's
1: just, there's a few more data points here that are, um, you know, it, it indicates that they're not just auto admitting people. Who are above their LSAT median, but (laughs) there's still that like hard green line on the chart, right? At you know, it's 167, right? Oh, I don't even know their median right now, (laughs) but I would be willing to bet that it's between that it's like right around 167, 168. Yep. Cause they're denying a whole bunch of 166s and then they're admitting a whole bunch of 167s.
0: Yep. So here's, okay, practically speaking, what this means is if you're above the 50th percentile for LSAT and you're above the 25th percentile for GPA, you're in. That's what this chart says to me. Am I reading that wrong? You gotta get above the 50th percentile for LSAT and above the 25th percentile for GPA. That's great news for a lot of people if that's true, because your LSAT score is still within your control.
1: I mean, they they also are admitting lots of people who are below their 25th percentile for GPA.
0: Oh, absolutely, but I'm just saying that's that's where the massive green is, right? But you're right; <laughs> there's a people who are a lot lower in their
1: GPA. I mean, 2. that 5. line goes straight down. That like, there's plenty of people down there with 167, 2.5. You're in,
0: and and we see deer. user deer is 167
1: 2.1 in in yeah you're going to lower our gpa median but you're going to raise our lsat median and we've decided that's good enough and Mm. you're in
0: but we don't see that as much with the uh, above the gpa if you're above the gpa but your lsat isn't there we're not seeing as much of a that may just be the nature of the range of LSAT scores. Geez, if you're applying yeah. below a 140, I don't know. Huh.
1: Yeah, but it it it's it's I mean, yeah, they're just they are clearly admitting that they, they care about their median a lot. That's the only possible explanation for this data. They they care about their median a lot.
0: They care about their median a lot and specifically their median for the LSAT score.
1: Yep. I'd be more <laughs> worried about
0: that than your GPA. Maybe.
1: Hide everything else and just look at uh just look at the waitlisted. listed. Yep. See that big line, the vertical line of yellow. Yeah. Yeah. All on 166. Yep. And there it's like, yeah, it does kind of doesn't matter what your GPA is because they're waitlisting listing 166 GP 166 4.0 weight listed.
0: Yeah. Wow. And 4.3, <laughs> 165, 4.3. Sorry, yep. es- Sham.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just like this line right at that number. By the way, that number changes from year to year. We think medians have been going up, and so you know it's going to change every cycle. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it's shy, it's it's stark. Yep, what they're it's doing sharp. <laughs> it's sharp, as Ben said. <laughs> you want to look at any of these other schools? I mean, are they this? Is it just the same everywhere? Looking at UCLA,
0: we're looking at the schools that Eric curated for us how about the other ones
1: eric (laughs) i'm getting a bat are you getting an error on the ucla link
0: yep i am okay that must just
1: something happened on that uh link
0: oh that site's down
1: oh maybe their whole site's down
0: yep i gateway
1: okay all right well anyway that was fun um that's stuff from lsd.com wait is it really lsd.com lsd.law
0: ah okay I was going to say, how'd they get that domain? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anything more on this? Thank you, Eric, for sending that no, in. No, that's um, huge. Yeah.
0: My takeaway is, okay, get above the 50th percentile with your LSAT score. And yeah, great for GPA, but don't worry about it so much, at least for those schools.
1: It's Yeah. Eric, I guess, handpicked these, but it sure seems like at at least those schools, um, LSAT is trumping pretty much everything and then the next thing is GPA and the combination of those two is a trump card. Yep. I mean it's just so extraordinarily rare that people aren't getting in. And so what that means is they get away with all kinds of bullshit, right? Like it doesn't matter that much. Your personal statement? Yep. How can it possibly matter? Your letters and and you know like fancy law school admissions consultants are going to tell you, "Oh, well, I get people in every year who score below whatever." Yeah, but <laughs> those those charts those charts clearly indicate that that is a very rare way to get into those schools. Yeah. It's just not it's not the front door. It's maybe not even the side door. It's the you know, you're you're parachuting in and <laughs> like sneaking in through the 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 roof access or something. I don't know. It's like you're yeah, okay, it happens. Yep. It's it's so rare. Yep. And you got to think that they are sensibly if they are dipping below their medians, they they care about their medians so much, right? If they are going to dip below, who are they going deli- to who are they going to dip below for? I mean, I hope to god that it's diversity cases. I hope to god that they're being sensible about that. You know, and like saying, "Oh, hey, it's real hard for us to get qualified. You know, it's it's hard for us to get blacks and Latinos who score These numbers. And so, if we're going to make exceptions, that's who you're going to make exceptions for. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you're making exceptions for the white kid with the super great personal statement. Like, why would you?
0: Yeah. No, it's not going to add to your diversity goals. I mean, big takeaway for me here is GPA doesn't matter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) GPA doesn't matter. Yeah. That might be a slightly extreme. The site's back up now. What do you looking mean though? UC- Look at,
0: if your if your LSAT is above the median, they have, no, they have acceptances all the way down to 2.5.
1: I'm looking at UCLA now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you just like compare accepted to rejected, it's hilarious, but get rid of the wait lists because those yep. are, you know, unclear. Yep. If you compare accepted to rejected, it's like a It's just like the square. It's like if you're above their medians on LSAT and or GPA, you're in. If you're below their medians on LSAT and or GPA, you're probably out. Yeah. They they sometimes make exceptions and deny people who are over on one or the other. UCLA has got a decent number of rejections of people who had higher than a 170, you know, whatever. But again, those are almost all people with low LSAT with low GPA as well.
0: Yeah, that's true. I'm just surprised because their 25th percentile for GPA is 3.6, right? So it and yet they have they have they have acceptances all the way down to 3.0. I, I think normally people would just be like, okay, well, I'm a splitter. Good luck. I think if you're a splitter but your GPA is low, I wouldn't stress about it as much. If your L set is low, uh, it looks like yeah, I mean, it can go down a decent amount, even with GPA. So Uh, the the point is the splitters have a decent shot uh, as long as you're above (laughs) above
1: lsat yeah so i'm like looking at hopeful reverse splitter here (laughs) hopeful reverse splitter with a 158 with a 150 and a gpa of 4.0 ucla that's a denial (laughs) it's a red dot i mean i shouldn't be making fun of people but it's just like i'm not making fun of you i'm telling you that you're being a helpful reverse splitter that UCLA that that didn't work out you you need the LSAT most of the time. Yep. All right, thanks Eric. That was really useful. Uh, this has me feeling better about lsd.law as a as a data source. Mm. Cuz that data looks pretty good, right? I mean, That's even a lot if of you
0: sample, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's just so many submissions and it makes sense. That the schools are doing, I mean, it's not surprising, like it's surprising that this exists, that you can just look at this and it's like so starkly obvious that you need the LSAT and GPA to get in. Mm -hmm. If you want to get in the way that people normally get in, (laughs) you need to have those numbers. That's not shocking, but it is a like, it's a very stark visualization and it stands to reason. And so it makes me feel um, pretty good actually about the reliability of this data. Oh, wow. And then up at the top, you can actually click for URM. So going back to the, yeah, going back to the LSAT versus GPA chart.
0: Oh, it's a lot less stark.
1: Yep. It's a lot less sharp. Click URM and the whole thing is totally different.
0: Yeah. So that's, which makes sense. That's the exceptions that they're making. They're not going to have that bright line rule. Yep.
1: But still there isn't, you can still see the (laughs) R. Still. Still clearly preferring high LSAT and or high GPA.
0: Yeah. Although for sure. It looks like there's more who have a higher GPA. For a URM, I see more green above the GPA line than above the LSAT line. So maybe that's where they need to make the exception. They're saying, okay, the LSAT score isn't happening. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. They're more forgiving with the LSAT score, I guess, for URM.
1: Fascinating. All right. Well, we could, we could stand around all day um, clicking on these things. <laughs> Let us know what you think. I mean, go, go check out these charts. They seem super useful or, you know, you're probably just going to like stats debate <laughs> about these charts, but if they can convince you that you really need to work on your LSAT, then <laughs> you, you could go spend some time with these charts.
0: Sure. I mean, I think the key takeaway here is that splitters can get in. And especially if you're a splitter who has a high LSAT score. Yeah. I don't know what that means in terms of scholarship. They're probably not giving you money if you're down at the bottom there with your GPA, but you're getting in.
1: It's I just think that the LSAT's harder to fake. You know, like we were just talking about this on uh, the Thinking LSAT podcast, but the LSAT is indicative of. IQ, but it's also indicative, it seems of work ethic because you can prepare for it. You can learn, you know, you can, you can improve so much on the LSAT. And so when they get your score, it's like, well, they know, they know that you either have real strong, just cognitive abilities, natural talent, or you have work ethic or a combination of those two that created this LSAT. When they look at a 4.0, What does that really mean? Sure. Depends on the
0: classes you took, where you took them, all sorts of random variables that are hard to pin down.
1: Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, you want to add anything here?
0: Nope. Thank you, Eric. We have an email here from anonymous.
1: This one just came in this morning. Hi, Demon team. I hope you're all doing well and enjoyed your Halloweens. I've got a strange scenario that I thought might be helpful for you to be made aware of since applicant pools for law schools increasingly include older candidates who've been in prior careers or even graduate school. In these circumstances, it's possible that the same people applying to school would have had opportunities to build relationships with current undergrads who are also applying. I had a magnificent student in grad school for a class I TA'd for who was so exceptional that they received the top grade out of every student in all iterations of the course across multiple semesters. I was thrilled to write a letter for this student when they asked because they're amazing and deserve it. However, I unfortunately learned that someone with an active LSAC candidate account is not eligible to write a letter for another candidate (sighs) as you are considered an applicant. You would even be susceptible to misconduct or inconsistency charges if you did so, and apparently my status as both a candidate and requested recommender is so unusual that a representative at LSAC had to confirm with superiors as to what the policy technically entails. As I understood the outcome, even if this student and I are not applying to the same schools, I am not able to serve as an official recommender for them because I'm also an LSAC candidate. This was very upsetting to learn about as not only is this student going, going to have to find a backup, but I can't even vouch for someone who's earned it. Moreover, I'm surprised to learn that this, is, that this was considered so unusual because plenty of former grad students apply to law school. What do you guys think of this whole thing? Do you expect that this is going to become more common or is this a one-off? I feel like an absolute garbage human right now because I'm wondering if I should have anticipated this, but I honestly had no clue or expectation that it would be a problem Would love your thoughts. Thanks. And that's coming from Anonymous.
0: Hey, it's news to me. I'm assuming it's news to you, Nathan.
1: You're definitely not a garbage person for not knowing that. Because I did not know that until you told me.
0: Yep, same. Uh, You know, (laughs) LSAC is a big organization. They probably came up with a bunch of rules like this to try to avoid some sort of self-serving behavior by candidates. I have no idea. Um, It's... Unfortunate, it'd be kind of cool to be able to write this letter for this person. It might also make you look better to law school if they realize you're a position, you were in a position to assess others and provide positive feedback for them. But hey, it's not an option. Move on.
1: Yeah. I mean, the person that you're that you wanted to write the letter for, maybe they could wait until you're done with your cycle. Like maybe when you're, I mean, like if they waited till next year is what I'm saying. Sure. They probably don't want to do that. Uh, but I suppose they could, or you could. Maybe the professor from that class, you you could reach out to that professor and go, hey, I was going to write this, but I'm not able to now because of these LSAC rules. Can you please do it? You could send, the, you could write the letter and send you it. You could
0: write the draft. That would save them a lot yeah. of time. I'm sure it'd be easy for them to say yes to that.
1: Like just endorse it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe you could finagle something that way. But uh, yeah, that is that's eh, kind of a bummer. I don't I mean, we've been doing this for 15 years and this is the first time I've ever heard of it. So I, I don't think that it is common at all. I can clearly see why they had that rule. They probably didn't have the rule. And then three smartasses got together and said, hey, we're all applying to law school right now. How about I write a letter for each of you two and then you two write a letter for each of me and each other and uh then you know and then and the the crazy thing is that the schools probably guaranteed would never catch it. Yeah. Like are they vetting the are they like actually like they're not doing a background check on the people who write these letters of recommendation? Yeah. I mean at all, right? Like what do you think they're actually doing? Like glancing at it. Yeah. And so in order to, you know, just nip that right in the bud, if they can link the LSAC accounts, then they can just keep it, all these like lazy cheaters from cheating. And you're unfortunately not a lazy cheater, but you're caught in the, the trap. That's kind of a fun little side tidbit. Sorry that you feel shitty about it, but uh, it'll work out. They'll they'll find another recommender. Yep. Email daily at lsatdemon.com if you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or law school admissions news. Thanks for listening.